He turned 70. I turned 73 in December. My wife turned 73 last February. We are in our 47th year of ministry, and Mr. Gray and I have been married 54 years this year. And, uh, well, I'll tell you what, who wants to train a new one? <laughs> oh, boy. I, I, these pastor's wives deserve a medal, I'll tell you that for sure. But, uh, oh, the music has just been great. Oh, I wish I could sing. Man, I wish I could sing. Surely, when you get a glorified body, you're going to get glorified vocal cords. It, it has to be. But I, I sing, but uh, I sing in the shower. And boy, I belt it out, too. And my wife has a poodle. She, call, she thinks it's a dog, but dogs, poodles aren't dogs. Uh, <laughs> if you're going to get a dog, get a dog, you know. And that stupid poodle will howl. When I get in the choir and I start singing out, and then my wife will say to me, Honey, would you stop the singing? And I will say, Well, stop the stupid dog from howling. Uh, but I guess there's a certain pitch there that you hit that just, cra- drives that, cra- just drives that dog crazy, which is fine with me. Uh, man alive. I, I, I get, she's had four poodles. She loves poodles. And I said to her one day, I wished I loved, you loved me half as much as you do that poodle. And she looked at me and said, I do. <laughs> then, dumb me, I'm from Arkansas, so I walked away and it hit me about a block. And I go, well, ain't that something, boy. <laughs> we used to have a black poodle named Buttons. That dog was the meanest dog I've ever seen. I've got scars all over my head of that crazy dog. Uh, that, that dog is just uh, a mess. Now, the one we got now, if you yell at it, it'll jump up here and start licking you right there, you know. And doesn't want to get whipped. But that black, that black buttons was mean. Boy, that dog died and went to hell. Uh, but uh, we... Uh, my wife is, uh, is, God bless her, she deserves a medal. I travel all the time. I flew 125,000 miles last year, 190,000 the year before, and I've uh, got 6 million air miles with just American alone. Doesn't include Southwest or Southwest. Did I say that? <laughs> Southwest. Take your Bible. <laughs> Matthew chapter 27, if you would. Don't miss tonight. Now, 6 o'clock tonight. Make sure you're here. Matthew 27, one verse, and that's verse 46. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 27, and one verse, and that's verse 46. I, uh, I, I commend you as a soul-winning church, and God bless you for that, and for staying straight by doctrinally, and staying after sinners, and getting people saved, keeping your music right. You don't have to have a Johnny Cash show to get people to come. You, just pre- you, you preach the Word of God, you sing the songs of God, and the Holy Ghost of God will work. And so don't you abandon it on. You listen to your preacher. He knows what he's talking about. Matthew 27. Oh, oh i got to read this to you. My wife gives me these little, these little ditties here, and I have laughed about this. A senior citizen drove his brand-new Corvette convertible out of the dealership. Take off down the road, he floored it to 80 miles an hour, enjoying the wind flowing through what little hair he had left. Amazing, he thought, as he flew down I-45, pushing the pedal even more, looking in his rearview mirror. He saw, oh, he saw a state trooper behind him, lights flashing and siren blaring. He f- floored it to 100 miles an hour, then 110, then 120, and suddenly thought, what in the world am I doing? I'm too old for this, and pulled over to wait 
the trooper's arrival. Pulling in behind him, the trooper walked up to the Corvette, looked at his watch and said, Sir, my shift ends in 30 minutes. Today is Friday. If you can give me a reason for speeding I've never heard before, I'll let you go without a ticket. The old gentleman thought for a minute, paused and said, Sir, years ago my wife ran off with a state trooper and I thought you were bringing her back. Terrible. <laughs> and the state trooper said, Have a good day. <laughs> oh. Now, if you didn't think that was funny, don't get mad at me. Call my wife. Matthew 27, verse 46. If you have that, let's stand and stretch just for a moment here. Matthew 27, and verse 46. The scripture says this And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Now, he's not speaking of what the world today would call tongues. That's a, a literal language. That is to say, now look at this, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Everybody in this auditorium has cried that at one time or another. Everybody. My wife had a heart attack two years ago. Boy, I'll tell you, it, it scared me. And I was out of town preaching, and my secretary called and said, Now, preacher, don't panic. Now, don't, don't ever call me and tell me not to panic. And I said, Miss Ayers, don't do that. Now, what's wrong? And she said, Well, Mrs. Gray was taken to the hospital. She had a heart attack. But everything's fine. Doctor's got it in control. She's going to be fine. I walked out in the parking lot and cried like a baby. You don't stay together like that that long without, I mean, I, I cried. And I looked up to heaven and I cried out and said, why? Why? Now normally what happens is we get mad at ourselves when we ask why because we think we're doubting God. Yet when I read this verse, the Son of God said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, if the Lord could ask why, then don't hurt, kick yourself and get mad at yourself. When at some times you just look up to heaven and say, God, why? Because Jesus did. And you have. And I have. So I want to take that little scripture. See if we can't learn some nuggets of truth out of it that will help us this week. Father, help me now to help. Thank you for the dear folk who've come faithfully today and faithfully to this church and win souls and give tithes and offerings and run buses and reach people with the gospel. Now, God, help me to put one more brick of truth in the wall of life. Please meet with us. Holy Ghost, walk up and down these aisles. Go from pew to pew and person to person and talk to us, please. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. My uh, youngest son, we have four children, two boys and two girls. The two boys are pastors. Scott's pastoring in Durham, North Carolina, Liberty Baptist Church. My son Bob is pastoring the church I pastored for three decades. And my, my two girls want to preach. <laughs> you talked about women preachers a little while ago. But I'm telling you, they, nobody can preach like a woman. But uh, it's not biblical, it's not scriptural, but I'm just 
if you, if, well, moving along. Uh, <laughs> my son came to me, and he was on staff there, and he said, Dad, uh, Jenny, they had uh, three boys, and said, Jenny's fixing the, the baby's due, and, and we're going to have to go to the hospital. And uh, I said, okay, son. I said, you, you go, and you call me now, and, and uh, I'll... I taught the Bible study that Wednesday night. I had counseling, was in my office, and the phone rang, and my secretary said, Preacher, you better take this quick. It's Scott. He's on the phone. He's crying. I can't understand him. I picked up the phone, and he was sobbing, and I said, Son, what's the matter? Now, they'd just been to the doctor the day before, and everything was fine with the baby. But then he crying. He said, Daddy, the baby died. The baby died. I told the folks I was counseling that I had to leave. I hung up the phone. I drove down to Longview Regional Hospital, parked in the clergy parking, went to the elevator, punched it to go to the second floor, went up the second floor, the door opened, and there was my son standing there, our baby. He'll always be our baby. He's 46, but he'll still be our baby. And he stood there, and he saw me. He just collapsed into my arms and crying. And he said, Daddy, why? The baby was fine yesterday. Daddy, why? If I had a dollar for every time in these 46 years of ministry that somebody's asked me why, I'd be a multimillionaire. Things like that, you've asked it this week, probably. You've asked it last year, probably, probably many times. Well, join the rest of us because we're all asking why about some things. My son, Bobby, who's pastoring the church, I pastored. For 30 years, he, uh, he, he uh, it was expecting a boy. They were, they were excited. And uh, he went to the hospital. <clears throat> now, things are different now. I, I, let me, when we were having babies, Abraham Lincoln was president. But <laughs> it was a different world. They'd take the dads and put them in a room on the other side of the floor. And you couldn't be anywhere near well, I, I, whoever said that, I'm with you on that, buddy. And, uh, and then the nurse would bring the baby down all wrapped up like, like that. And, if you, and I, I, when our old, youngest, oldest one born, I reached up to pull. I just wanted to look at the toes. That's all. And the nurse slapped my hand. And it was like unclean, 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 you know. And, uh, of course, nobody cared about the dads. The dads down. The only thing we had was black and white TV. And nobody cared about us. That was funny. <laughs> but now, when people give birth, man, the whole neighborhood's in there. And I'll tell you, I don't understand it. I just uh, I call me old school, call me old school. I just don't understand it. And when Kelly is having contractions in the baby room, I'm standing out in the hallway. Everybody else is in there. There must have been 15 people in that room. And I'm standing out here, and I, 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 I just I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. Then when I heard the baby crying, I thought, okay, maybe it's safe now, you know. And so I looked around the corner, and the doctor was holding the baby boy. And when I looked at the head of our grandson, it wasn't normal. And I'd been at this thing long enough, I could spot something like something's wrong. I looked at the baby, and apparently the doctor saw the look on my face, and she looked at me, and she went like that, as if to say, keep your big mouth shut. I didn't say anything. My wife's a nurse. We held the baby and so on. When we got home, my wife was crying, and I said, Honey, she said to me, Did you see what 
the baby's head? I said, yes. She said, something's wrong. Something's not right. The next day, they broke the news to our son and daughter-in-law. And they said, uh, it's a big, long name of, of it, but his head was not shaped right and a lot of problems. And they said he wouldn't live, but he did. They said he never talked, but he does. They said he'd never walk or smile, or, but he does. He's 28 years of age now. Well, somebody say amen. amen. And he has the mind of a child. But they've had to take the, the uh, cranial part here off and frontal lobe and reshape it and put it on so he has some semblance of looking normal. He has boils all over him because of the fact of the medication he has to take. And he's in a wheelchair now and, uh, most of the time. But a, a lot of problems. But oh, my, my, my. When Bobby came into office and we fell on that floor in that, that pastor's office, I've never cried so hard in my life. Boy, when your kids hurt, you really hurt. And he said, Daddy, why? Why? That question's been asked over and over again. Now, by the way, you, do you know who's the most fun, who has the most fun in the world? It's that RG, 28 years of age, has a mind of a child. He, he thinks all you people are abnormal. <laughs> He's, he, I have more fun with him than Carter's got liver pills. I haven't said that in years. Uh, but uh, he, he, when Bobby took over, they voted him in, Bob as, as pastor, R.G. started going around saying to different people, you're fired. You're fired. <laughs> he thought he was Donald Trump. <laughs> you're fired. So Bobby got up on a Wednesday night and said, how many have you been fired by R.G.? Half the crowd raised their hand. R.G. sits right on the front. He sings in the teen choir, but preaching he sits right down here. And one Sunday, we have a 12-section lower floor and 10-section balcony, and you have assistant pastors at the end of each aisle for the invitation. And R.G. is sitting down here, the assistant pastor standing there, and he looked up and he went, psst, psst, psst. And the assistant pastor leaned down and said, what is it, R.G.? He looked up and said, you're doing a good job. Keep it up. <laughs> After the service, I asked the assistant pastor, I said, what did he say? He said, he told me what he said. He said, but man, I thought he was going to fire me. <laughs> now, it seems to me that when I ask why, that my doubt is unveiled. But this cannot be true according to the Scripture. For this was deity talking to deity. God incarnate talking to the creator of the universe. This was God the Son talking to God the Father. Even Jesus himself looked up and asked, My God, my God, why? So when I've looked up and said, My God, why? And you have, we're in pretty good company. Isn't it amazing that even Jesus asked why? Now, did Jesus doubt his heavenly Father? No. Did God the Son doubt God the Father? No. Was there a breach or a paradox here? No. Now, let me give you a couple of simple little thoughts here. Boy, we're going to get out of here early today. I spotted a Kentucky Fried Chicken, and buddy, I'm getting out of here, and I'm going to put some chicken in the ministry today. So here we go. Let me give you some thoughts here, if I may. Number one, the question why tells us there is an answer. Now, think with me for a minute. Think about it. The very fact that I ask my God why, I am implying that I know that there's one who has the answer. Why would I ask if I did not think 
that there was an answer. It doesn't make sense. This asking why does not indicate doubt. The truth is, it indicates faith in the one who has the answer. You've kicked yourself long enough when you've asked why. You've gotten mad at yourself uh, way too much about asking God why. There's nothing wrong with asking why. Jesus asked why. You have asked why. And I have asked why. When you or I ask why, we imply we have confidence there's somebody who knows the answer. Jesus did not doubt. He was simply saying there's someone who has the answer. Jesus is telling the lonely widow, there's someone who has the answer. Jesus is telling the abandoned wife, there's somebody who has the answer. Jesus is telling the sick one, there's somebody that has the answer. Jesus is telling the cancer patient, there's somebody that has the answer. Jesus is telling the child who's mourning the death of a parent, there's somebody who has the answer. He's telling the broken-hearted pastor, there's somebody that has the answer. He tells the jobless husband. He tells the single parent. He tells the orphan child. He tells the abandoned wife and mother. And when you ask why, when I ask why, we would, it would be foolish to ask why if, we didn't, if it wasn't for the fact that we had confidence in someone who had the answer. I don't have the answer, but somebody has the answer. You would not ask if you thought otherwise. There's a God in heaven who loves you. And if you're still uh, in, in pain this morning, health pain with an illness, God in heaven loves you. If you're broke this morning, join the rest of us. Uh, God loves you. Uh, if you're abandoned, God loves you. If you're an orphan, God loves you. If you're a widow, God loves you. If you're jobless, God loves you. If you're homeless, God loves you. God loves you. And in this state, sometimes we get along and say, God, Why? Why is this happening to me? Well, that's what Jesus asked. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, it's, a, it's a heartbreaking thing to bury a grandbaby girl. It's a heartbreaking thing to watch a young man, our uh, RG, uh, he can't do it much now, but I, he was my soul winning buddy, and I'd take him out soul winning. We were in a complex and talking to some kids, and and R.G., his arms are longer than they should be when he walks. He walks, walks like that. And, uh, and sometimes I can understand, sometimes I can't. And I'm not sure what he understands or what he grasps. But we were soul winning. We had little, some children there. We were leading them to Christ. And some teenagers came around the corner of the building, and they began to mock my grandson. And one of them called him a freak. And now, listen, <laughs> there's, there's no pain in the world. I, beat me. Shoot me. Uh, do whatever you want to to me. But boy, when you do it to my children and my grandkids, it's a different, it's a different world now. And I, and I thought to myself, I ought to leave here and go over there and in Jesus' name whip them. Uh, but, see, that makes it all right. <laughs> anyway, I decided we'd finish. So we went and gave the gospel out. And we started walking back to the car. And then I thought to myself, I wonder if R.G. heard that. I, I wonder if R.G., did he hear that? Does he understand and, and we walked back to the car, and it began to really work on me. And I got in the car, put my seatbelt on. He put his seatbelt on, and I lost it. I, uh, tears started coming. I laid my head on the steering wheel and, uh, because I thought, man, I hope, I don't know, you know. And finally, R.G. looked over and saw me <laughs> crying. He patted me on the shoulder, and here's what he said. It okay, Paul. It okay. 
Man, I wish I had that kind of a spirit about the things in life. It okay, Paul. Maybe some of you ought to look up to heaven instead of getting mad at God and say, It okay, God. It okay. Listen, thank God you're going to heaven. Thank God you ain't going to hell. Thank God you're not going to burn in the lake of fire forever and ever. And you ought to shout about it and say amen about it. You and I have got so many good things and great things. Listen, I've been to 17 foreign countries preaching. I'm going to take you on my next trip to Guatemala and let you go with me and see how bad these third... Listen, when I get back to America, I kiss the ground. I'll tell you how much I love it. I hugged a deacon one time. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> and so I find myself feeling guilty for asking God why. And then I read this verse, Matthew 27, 46. Suddenly I realized Jesus himself looked up into heaven and, said, and asked, My God, my God. And then all of a sudden my guilt runs away. And I'm not, I don't feel as guilty because it's not really doubt, but it's faith in God who has the answer. I realize instead of living in the land of doubt, the truth is I'm living in the land of faith. Because I found out there's a God in heaven who did have the answer. No matter what you are facing, and you ask why, it is all right to cry out why. Can I give you a second point? I've got 65 points, 35 sub-points, three jokes, and two tear-jerking illustrations. Here we go. <laughs> like that fat one, we're going to need that barbed wire fence. A few more points, and we'll be through. All right? N number two. Number two. <laughs> number one. Look, if you don't like to laugh, just, uh, okay. Uh, the question why tells us there somebody has the answer. But the second thing dawned on me in this scripture. The question why tells us we down here do not have the answer. That's what it tells me. You go to your husband, why is this happening? He doesn't have an answer and you get mad at him. You go to the preacher and say, preacher, why is this happening? He says, I don't know. And then you get mad at him. Well, there's some things that we don't know. Don't know it all. I'm going to have to trust God. I'm going to have to have faith in God. I'm going to have to take my next step, believing what God's Word says to do next, and do it and leave it up to God. I was with Brother Hiles in his office, and I was pouring my heart out and seeking counsel from him. I was pastoring at the time. And when he got done, he looked at me. And Dr. Jack Hiles, pastor of the world's largest church, looked at me, and I said, Preacher, what do I do? Here's what he said. I have the foggiest idea what to tell you. <laughs> I flew all the way to Hammond, Indiana, sitting in his office for him to say, I have the foggiest idea what to tell you. I wanted to slap him. <laughs> man, you, you're the smartest man ever walked planet Earth. I mean, good grief. You have this great church and all that. You don't even know what to tell me. There comes a time in your life when nobody can help you. You're going to have to walk by faith. You're going to have to trust God. You're going to have to do what's right to do, even though you don't know the end of it. Do good. Do right. Trust God. That's what you got to do. Uh, now, why? Question why? Number one, the question, question tells, tells us there is an answer. Number two, it tells us we do not have the answer down here. Now, look, the book of James tells us there's earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. Earthly wisdom is to watch Oprah. <laughs> earthly I lost three on that one. Uh, Earthly wisdom is to make sure Dr. Phil gives you some instructions. I mean, he can help you with your marriage. He's only been divorced once. Figure that one out. Is this on radio? <laughs> Stay tuned, folks, for corrections that will... Never mind. Uh, the question why tells us there's an answer. 
The question why tells us we do not have the answer. Number three, the question why says that God, who has the answer, wants my presence. Listen carefully. On purpose. God brought something in your life that nobody down here can help you with, that only God can. And so you go to Him, and here's what He says. Wow, good to hear from you. Where have you been? Wow. Oh, you're coming to me now. Oh, you want to talk to me now? Well, I'm glad. Remember that revival meeting when you said, I'll meet you at 6 o'clock every morning? I've been there every morning. You ain't showed up yet. So what does God do? God has to do some things in your life to get you back into His presence. You know, the Scripture says some things that you'll learn here, hereafter, and afterwards. That's what it said about Peter. So there's some things that just make sense right away. There's some things that don't make sense until later on. And there's some things you'll never figure out till you get to heaven. And you and I, our God has been so good to us. Our God has saved our soul from going to hell. You're saved, you're on your way to heaven, and you ought to shout about that for a while. How many of you are saved on your way to heaven? Okay, well, somebody say amen. All right, so I said number one, the question why tells us there is an answer. Number two, it tells us we down here do not have the answer, so don't get mad if you can't discover it. Number three says that God, who has the answer, really wants our presence. So we're lying flat on our back, and we look up and say, My God, my God, why? And it's almost like God says, Oh, I'm so glad you called me. You, you know, okay, I'm, I'm a parent. You're a parent. Uh, you, sometimes I'll, I'll call one of my sons, and, uh, and I'll say, uh, would, This computer... I'm having problems with it. Would, would you come by the house and maybe help me and your mother out a little bit? Now, I could give a flip about that computer, but I want to see my son. You got it? So what God sometimes does, God sometimes puts things in your life, then, and you go to God, God said, I just want to spend some time with you. You were made for fellowship. You know, you husband and wives that get on the road and start driving somewhere, if you don't watch it, here's what will happen. One grunt means McDonald's. <laughs> Two grunts means Burger King. <laughs> I can prove it. You're going to go home today at lunch, and you're going to sit there at that table, and you are not going to say a word. You'll just rattle your tea glass. And that means fill it up again. <laughs> That's a horrible way to live. Now, Please understand that God sometimes in our life does things just so that we will come to Him and spend time with Him. So don't get mad about it. Oh, okay, I'm through with this one. This, I've been waiting for this verse here. John 16, turn there. John chapter 16. We've got to hurry. You're not listening fast enough. John chapter, John chapter 16, please. John chapter 16. In John chapter 16... And verse 20, you know how God uses earthly stories to teach us heavenly truths. You know that, right? Okay. John chapter 16 and verse 20 is one of those. All right. Look at verse 20. Verily, verily, John 16, 20. I say unto you that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. We see the payoff of sin 
And as Christians, we say to you, you dumb teenagers, you dumb college students, you dumb adults, what's the matter with you? Don't you know this is going to get you into trouble? So what do we do? Because we see things from God's perspective, we weep and lament. But the world having a big old time, uh, uh, more beer, more whiskey, more concerts, more this, that, and that. They're just having the time of their life, not understanding the payoff. Watch this now. And ye shall be, 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 ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. So those things that happen in your life that cause and bring about sorrow, God said one day that sorrow is going to turn into joy. Now look at verse 21. Then he gives us an earthly story to explain it. A woman, when she is in travail, has sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. Here she is. She's 15 months pregnant. Pickles and ice cream. And finally, time to go, darling. Time to go. So you go to the hospital. She's in the labor pain. Screaming. Ah! Then she looks at the husband and says, Don't you ever touch me again as long as you live. <laughs> then look what happens. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Say that with me. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Louder. Ready? And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Nothing. Oh, pain, pain, pain. When I first one was born, it's the most beautiful baby I've ever seen in my life. She's, you, you, back then, they'd have this glass window and have their cribs laid out like that. Ah, oh, there she is. I took my Bible and put it up on that window. I said, Kimberly, God be in my helper. I'm going to raise you according to this Bible. I looked at the guy over here. I said, which one's yours? Oh, uh, too bad. <laughs> so, ah! Then a year later, honey, do you think... Uh, you think maybe we could, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe have a, another one? And here's the response: No, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you turn into when you get in there, but no. What happens? God said, "All this travail, 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 travail." And here's what we're doing. We're making lists. But I'll tell you, when I see God, I want to know why this, 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 this. You say to your wife, sweetheart, make a list. She's over there making her list. You're making your list. When I see God, I'm telling you right now, I want to know. And I'm going to know. And I'm going to ask him. And he's going to tell me. This, all this stuff going on. Why, why did this happen? Why did this? Why did, 
Gertrude, you got your list? Okay, good. I'll tell, tell you what. And then all of a sudden, you're going to be standing before God, and God's going to say, Bob, anything you want to ask me? I got nothing. <laughs> Gertrude's got a list. <laughs> I, I got nothing. Because the truth is, when you see him, the things you're so cotton-picking mad about now, you won't even remember. So why waste your time? Trust God. Trust him. You've trusted him this far. Why do you want to quit trusting him? So when you ask why, don't get mad about it. Just join the rest of us in asking why. Let's stand. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed.